Um, we are from Hamilton County area, so I don't know how many of you guys are kind of in the Cincinnati area, but we are coming to you from there. Uh, my name is Liz Fenimore. I'm a behavioral and mental wellness specialist, or su supervisor, not specialist, supervisor with Hamilton County ESC. And I'm Sandy Blank. I'm a special ed supervisor with Northwest Local School District. So we're a partnership, you know what I mean, that yep. we've used with each other when we started this program. Yep. And I've been in education for 34 years, so <laughs> retired and still came back. So it's becoming challenging. Right. And like Sadie was saying, so our program is called Connections. It's located at the Northwest Local School District. Um, it is a behavioral program for students who are experiencing unsafe behaviors in their district. And so um, obviously it's located at Northwest and Sandy is our Northwest rep and I'm from the ESC. So we provide the staff. Ugh. Just click it on the computer. And we have technical difficulties. The program Typically. started several years ago um, when our superintendent came to, and I don't know how many people can relate to this, to our special ed department and said, we have to do something about the behaviors in our district. And what really was shocking for us were the way the elementary students were behaving in regards to their behaviors. The behaviors that were being were, were significant. The, the walls, they were kicking, they were injuring staff, they were throwing furniture, and I'm sure some of you have witnessed that with students. They just could not control their behavior, and it didn't always mean that they were the special ed students. Many of them were general ed students as well. Um, in the past, what would happen is we would rush towards an evaluation and everybody would want to call the student emotionally disturbed, which gave very little time for our teams to really dig deep and hone in on what was the cause of the behavior. And sometimes it was just getting them acclimated to school. Other times they did end up going through an evaluation. So as a district, they allowed us to start a program and house it in the district. Now, we do not have it located at our elementary schools. It is located in a building that we have our special ed offices, so we were able to get several classrooms and start a program there. It started very, very low numbers with like one classroom. There are definitely issues with what goes on because the principals were thrilled that we started this program. So calls were being made and still are to this day on a daily basis. Help us with this child, with this child, with this child. They want everybody to go into the program. So my job as a supervisor is to kind of evaluate, observe, and become involved to determine if we're gonna bring that child into the program. And so um, it's working very well for us. We have actually expanded the classrooms and we'll get to the components as to, you know, the parts of the program as we go through the presentation. But that's kind of how it started. And we actually had to start it in mid-year. So we actually started it in March, several years ago. We were that desperate to do something quickly. We could not keep outplacing these students into the programs that are around us, such as Children's Homes, St. Aloysius, St. Joe's. We do have kids placed in those programs, but at the pace we were going, it was becoming very costly for the district. And the parents are so frustrated when we talk about an outside placement because they want their children to be close to home. So this allowed us to cut costs with transportation and bring something that was essentially located, centrally located right in the district and allow us to house those students. So that's kind of how we got started. Feel free as we're going through this to stop, ask questions, do whatever you need to do. There'll be time at the end as well for questions, but we just want to make it kind of interactive so you don't. So the slides are located online. Yep. We are up to um, two, and we're looking at expanding to four for next year. Okay. We also, um, when we talk a little bit further, we also have a classroom in one of the elementaries so that the students can participate in the gen ed setting as well. But the children that go into this program, the one factor would be they definitely would have physical aggression mm -hmm. because we're not gonna just take anybody and bring them over. So um, we do take gen ed, 
as well as students on an IEP. But the general ed would just be for diagnostic purposes. So we might bring them over for a short period of time to try to um, resolve their issues. But uh, other ones, you know what I mean, already identified and some in the process. Do you guys go through the FDA and the DIC mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. in order to get into your school? No. If sometimes it's an emergency situation where um, the students are getting suspended right and left, and as we know, we're not supposed to be doing that at the elementary. And it doesn't really, it's not effective anyways. Mm -hmm. So um, essentially what we try to do then is remove them on an emergency basis where we have to find placement for them. And I'll be honest with you, some of our students that are in outside placements are getting kicked out because so many districts are trying to outplace kids. They can kind of have the, the pick of who they feel would be most successful. So we, are in, we were almost in an emergency situation where we had to find something in-house. So essentially where the ESC comes in, um, prior to us coming aboard with Northwest, um, they were using a different, um, look, uh, different person. Um, so when we came in, we talked about what our program would look like. Um, and so it is that intensive tier three program. It's primarily for only Northwest students. Um, we aren't, we're not a satellite situation, so we don't have students coming in from other districts or anything like that. It is purely to support the district's needs. Um, the students were experiencing both their behavioral and emotional difficulties in the elementary setting. Right now, our caseloads are K through five, um, and I would say our most significant students are about K through two. Um, and they typically are um, the students that we are yeah, that working to meet the most needs for. They're coming in kindergarten exhibiting unbelievable behaviors. Yeah. So how big is your district? K through five, how many students? Not just the program, sir, just Northwest. 10,000. 10,000, yeah. Mm -hmm. So we do, um, we did narrow grade range and now we essentially have different elementary schools that are larger. So some of our elementary schools have a thousand kids in them. And the principals were finding that they had no time to, to be a principal because they were essentially working with the physically aggressive kids the majority of the time. I have to tell you, being in this field for as long as I have, I am completely shocked at the behaviors that I'm talking about that are being exhibited. And when staff started to get injured and things started happening, and it was unsafe for children around them as well as for themselves. Mm -hmm. So it really came out of an emergency situation because I, I spent the entire Christmas break thinking, what are we going to, to do to come up and solve this? We cannot outplace all these students. So that's kind of how it, it came into place. We'll go through that. Yeah, yeah. And that a lot depends on students as well, the mm -hmm. type of students that are in there. I want to point out that the program was made for general ed students. I want to kind of explain as to how it started and what I really wanted the original purpose to be. The original purpose was to bring them over for short periods of time, provide an intense intervention with people that are specialized in that, and then get them back to their schools. But I want to be careful because that's not the case with all the kids that come to us. A lot of times what happens is the parents love this program and the students that really should eventually be outplaced, the parents will beg for them to stay in the program because we're not calling these parents on a daily basis. The kids are exhibiting behaviors that are suspendable, but we are not calling the parents. The parents need a break at this point. So the ultimate goal was to get them in, provide the intense intervention and get them out. But what's happening is we have kids that are staying long term, sometimes two years at a time, because they're so comfortable in the program and it's such a success. So it's getting difficult to figure out how we're gonna leave those slots open for the kids that needed that short intervention compared to the ones that are gonna be more long term. Mm -hmm. So that's, it's, it's making it difficult. But on the general ed, you have to be careful and we only bring them over for short periods of time. What ends up happening a lot of times is they end up going through an evaluation eventually 
and um, the valuation could be done at that location. Mm -hmm. Okay? And then the program provides the intense behaviors um, while providing the academics is extremely an important component because we do have Camelot. I don't know how, pe how many people are familiar with Camelot. That runs like a partial program. hospitalization program where kids can go to for a half a day. But what was ending up happening is as those students would transition back to our schools, they weren't able to maintain because Camelot doesn't provide academics. This program has the academics built in as well as the behavioral support. Mm -hmm. So because of that, that's where the success started to come in and the expectations are still there. So we do do both, mental health as well as academics. Mm -hmm. And we'll get into more on what additional things we provide for the academics a little bit later in a slide. Okay. Um, I can't see this. That's pretty much a recap yep. when we talked about the kind of students that need to go in. When we're in this program, the one thing that we're really Stigler's about is collecting that data, um, which is an issue in our elementaries. I don't know if many of you are experiencing that, but I would just get calls about this kid's physically aggressive, and then you would ask for specific data. We do have a behavior specialist that works in our district that goes around to the elementaries to help them collect that data. So they come in with what we call a data map plan on progress book, and that allows us to start with some baseline. While they're in the program, we continue to collect that data, and we'll get into more specifics with, in regards to the staff that help with that, because we do have people that specialize in that. So we're really careful about making sure that these kids need to be in this program. We've not really made too many like mistakes where we're like, what the heck? Because most of them that come in have a long history of the behaviors they exhibited. Lots of support. Lots of support. So just to kind of piggyback on that, we do have a lot of support. So our staffing is through Hamilton County ESC. Um, right now we have two full-time intervention specialists. We did add that third classroom, so really that slide is incorrect. We have three ISs um, at Northwest. Um, we have a four-day-a-week substitute intervention specialist. Um, this is very important because our teachers may need to be out or have situations and they aren't at work. So we need to have that familiar face in that program so that this, the kids are not really thrown off by day to day. Um, and having just to chime in on that, we don't have subs that would pick those, those up. Right, right. So we can't even get subs in the schools, right. much less this program. Right, right, right. So it's very important just because of that um, for the program. The other thing, we have a behavior a board certified behavior analyst. We actually have two. Uh, we have one who is full time, five days a week, and then we have in our expansion program that we'll talk about, um, two days a week. So that's very important because when we talk about what curriculum we use in our programs, um, they very much have provided that information for us and help us kind of understand some of those behavioral components that we need to have for us to meet their needs. Um, our related service staff are all through, um, they're, they're located in Northwest schools, so they are familiar with a lot of the students in the program. So some of them had them when they maybe attended some of the different elementaries. So all of those staff do still support in our programs. Um, and then program administrators, Sandy represents Northwest and I represent the ESC. The BCBA is extremely an important component of that program, which we didn't have when we first started, and I just want to recap on that, because she essentially trains the staff while they're there right on the spot on how to work with the students. Um, it's extremely important to have that consistency, and she makes sure to provide that. Yep. And that was a, an additional component that we added. And I also want to kind of point out, when you're looking at all that staff, you're thinking, that's not cheap. and it. And it's not cheap, but I do want to point out that when we did the cost analysis of what we were spending for the outside placements on the students that were eligible to go, we did save money by, you know what I mean, having this program, or it would have never have gone through in the first place. Yeah. 
Yes, yeah, so the four days a week, and she's uh, four days a week because we also have her go to a different program. Um, but she is kind of just going back and forth between all of the classrooms at that time. So she's working with the students. She knows all of their plans, um, what the curriculum is in that classroom, and so she's very fluid. So basically, I would say that the district and through our relationship and, and partnership have kind of come up with just that overall goal for connections. Um, it's to create a safe and productive environment. The program is really important for the districts to meet our students' needs. They have a lot of needs, and so like Sandy was saying before, um, those constant phone calls from administration, the issues within the building, um, we are relieving some of those stressors by having this option for the students because it is meeting their academic and behavioral needs. Um, they are not students that are typically, you know, they, they typically don't make it through an entire school day in some of those settings. And so when they're in our setting, we are getting through that entire school day. Um, they are not being suspended or expelled for behaviors that would certainly be suspended or expelled in a typical setting. So. Which has cut down on our suspension rates. Right. So that was another reason why we had to do something quickly. Mm -hmm. And we build better relationships with parents right. because by the time the child gets removed from the school, the parents are so angry and fed up and lose their job, mm -hmm. et cetera, with the phone calls that they get to remove some of these or how many times they have to come up to the school. And I would say too, just um, so her and I did the intake meetings at the beginning of the year, and so we have a very large process as to what that intake looks like, um, just some of the questioning and some of the conversations with, what, with the families. And the overall theme with those families was just their excitement because the students were staying in district. I mean, this is a building that's um, got some alternative school going in um, and some other things, but the families know where it is. It's down the street. It's not... 10 miles 20 miles away so that was a really good conversation to have with those parents and then we really talked about how that transition can be so seamless because if they're showing great skill and they've we've identified those needs and we're able to transition them it's fluid and they they have some of those same students transition with them at the same time and so that really was a good conversation with parents and the location is key too mm -hmm. because if we would have placed this program in an elementary school the program staff would be upset because they would be constantly worried about, you know what I mean? All those kids making the amount of noise they make and the physical aggression and so on and so forth. So having their own little like um, part of a school, it's actually one of our schools that closed, but having that facility for them lets them be relaxed and then I don't have to draw in the elementary administrators who are dealing with enough in their buildings. Mm -hmm. So it's, um, that's why we actually did it away from the elementary schools. Okay. The highlights of the program are really based on a lot of what we already talked about, but we really focus on the individual student progress. We really want to dig deeper and find out why the students are behaving the way they are. It works in our benefit when we include all of our resources that we have in our district. For example, children's home therapists work in our district. So we make sure those students get hooked up with those resources. Mm -hmm. We said we had Camelot, which is also in the same facility. Um, and we also try to work with the families. I'm not pleased as much. I would like to get a little bit more um, family involvement when I get it. It's beautiful. It, it's just, it really provides exactly what the student need needs but at this time a lot of the parents I think are so fed up they just want to send them to a place where they're not called every day um, so the supports that that are within the school district is that it is um, an alternate location from the elementary schools and it gives those administrators a little bit of leverage to say we've got to do something and we have to do it now because like I said, the police were coming in certain situations and it was just getting very tough. Mm -hmm. um, having the supports reduces the cost of the programming um, for the district and we already essentially talked about that. Not all the kids would go outside place, but we do have ED units 
that you guys are familiar with inside of our elementaries. Um, but as we know, when you're getting like 10 to 12 students in there, if they're physically aggressive, they couldn't even handle some of these kids. So it gives us leverage as far as programming. What I would do with some of these kiddos, if they enrolled in our district and say they were in a children's home or St. Al's, it provided a step down for those kiddos to kind of come out of those facilities so we could evaluate, collect data, and determine if they're going to be successful. So it really allows us to individualize it. Um, the staff have to be highly trained. I will warn you that there's a high burnout rate. I mean, we do work hard to make sure that we get people in there that are very passionate about mental health and working through that. And, um, and making sure that they can handle especially the physical aggressive part of it. Um, enrolling identified kids, kids gives us that leverage in order to dig deeper and provide that intense intervention. So those are some of the highlights of the program. Um, we're finding it to be very successful, but what I really like about it is that we provide academics at the same time. So. And uh, just to kind of piggyback on that highly trained, um, so all of our staff in our program are trained in de-escalation. CPI, um, we have AIM curriculum, which is what we'll kind of talk about in a little bit, but that really brings in those ABA principles for the, for the staff. And then um, they also receive quite a bit of historical training in their own professions. We are hiring a lot of staff who maybe are coming from private sectors, um, registered behavior technicians in ABA settings or um, things of that nature. We have found a lot of um, value in adding those staff as our behavior techs or our registered behavior techs, so. I do, yeah. Mm -hmm. So to, at the beginning of the school year, we had a great luxury to do two weeks of training where we did CPI, we did de-escalation, we talked about um, students' potential trauma history, um, we were able to have the BCBA trained staff as well. So she is on site training them almost every day, um, but she was able to give them some information at the beginning of the year as well. When we have new staff come on, we try to squeeze that in in a week. But sometimes it's a situation where we have to get them hired. Um, we do get through CPI quickly and de-escalation, but then they do learn a lot of that on, um, on site. On job, mm -hmm. yeah. And it really works, you know, it's, it's very beneficial to partner with the ESC because then that takes that training and finding those staff members out of Northwest. We don't have to do that then right. essentially. I don't even know if we could have even had the time or the training or the resources to be able to find all those qualified people. So that's why that partnership works to, the be to mm -hmm. your benefit. Mm -hmm. supervisor does that so in, in addition to working with the SC like we mentioned earlier it's very beneficial to have a supervisor in the district who is doing the day-to-day -day managing working with the parents setting up the meetings looking at the seclusion and restraint data and things like that and we do have seclusion rooms we will go over that so like Sandy said before, um, ESC classrooms, the Connections classrooms, had a lot of success. So we talked about how can we strengthen our transition process for students. Um, so we have a classroom in Coleraine Elementary, which is a functioning elementary. Um, that classroom has, I think, 10 students. 10, mm -hmm. 10 students, uh, three of which who have transitioned from Connections back into the public setting. Um, in that classroom, we have one intervention specialist and two actual RBTs, registered behavior technicians. Um, they're probably our strongest behavior tech staff, just because we are hoping that that transition is successful and that they can start to get their needs met in that public setting and out to typical classrooms if, if they can manage that. Um, and then we also have a board certified behavior analysis who supports that classroom and that structure two days a week. And I'm not saying that there aren't challenges having that additional classroom located in the elementary. Mm -hmm. I, I'll be honest with you, I'm with that principal every single day because they're very frustrated when they still see the physical aggressive behaviors. Mm -hmm. 
if they send a student down and the other day the student didn't like the muffin he got and the tables were being flipped, the chairs were being thrown, and he, you know, as a principal, feels like it's very difficult to maintain that. I like the idea of the connections being at an alternate location that helps us get through that. So it is really important for us and the way we are moving so forward as a district is we're going to look at those students that are really more unit-bound kids to be out of the elementaries and the students, like she said, that can be included in typical classrooms on and off being the classrooms that are located at the elementaries. So as we go through, we learn things every month and reevaluate decisions that are being made. So it started very basic, but it's turning into a very well-run program. Mm -hmm. So kind of what we were talking about was those transitional supports. Um, so we're working very, I would say, we're working with all of the elementaries because most of the elementaries in your district do have ED rooms. Um, so we're trying to look and make sure that those students are transitioning not only just to Coleraine Elementary, even though we have that additional setup there, um, but we are looking at how we can support them as they transition to any of the elementary schools and can um, either transition right into a unit classroom or if we've met a lot of needs and they're doing well, we even talk about how it could look for gen ed settings. We've had three students transition, like I said, back to Coleraine Elementary, um, and then we've had students transition within our programming at the connection site into different classrooms just because it maybe met their age need, um, it maybe met their um, maturity level, maturity level mm -hmm. um, or the student had such turmoil with some of the kids that they transitioned to connections with. Um, so we had to find some creative ways on how we could meet their needs in a safe environment that they weren't really bringing some of that past trauma with them. I think in regards to the transitional services, I find it interesting when we finally call a parent to provide the good news that the students maintained enough <laughs> that they're ready to transition back. And believe it or not, I run into resistance <laughs> from yeah. the parents. I don't want them to leave the program. We're very happy with the program and they're maintaining and making significant improvement. Mm -hmm. So you really have to work hard with the parents as well as the administrator of the building you're transitioning to as well as the teacher who's going to get the student. The most ideal solution for us is to do a part-time trial period where they go in part-time. But I ran into issues with our transportation department saying we cannot possibly go over and, and provide this transportation. So if the parent works with me, we do do a part-time, but if, mm -hmm. if, it re, if it results in me having to get additional busing services through our district, then what ends up happening is sometimes we just have to just say, okay, let's give it a try and put them in full-time. Mm -hmm. Most of the students that we put in um, have had great success. There are situations where, um, because the structure is completely different, that they end up sometimes having to come back. But once they filter through the program, we try really hard to say, we've already tried this, this is our next step. Mm -hmm. So we're still, we still work through the transition and we really try to come up with a behavior plan that they can utilize in the school as well. Mm -hmm. The curriculum is extremely important that's kind of a passion that I wanted to make sure that any program we started, obviously we had the academics still going. So these students, many of these students are very bright and need to be continually challenged on their academics. With having an intervention specialist, they teach the core curriculum in regards to the ELA, the math, as well as social studies and science. What we found with that was over the course of having to provide that instruction, for students all the way from K through five, and next year we're talking about expanding it to six, this becomes very difficult. So the new component we put into the program this year is called IXL. I don't know if any of you have heard about that. It's an online program that's supplement. It's, it's directly aligned to our curriculum and it's supplementing what they're doing. What we're finding with our staff is if we do have a student that's very challenging and that, stu that staff member has to be with that student all day, it becomes very difficult. Mm -hmm. So what we've actually started to do is more or less rotation with stations and one of the stations happens to be the IXL. They obviously need their Chromebook 
and that gives the teachers not only a break, but it allows those students to work with all staff members within the program. Mm -hmm. So we're actually looking at um, kind of doing the same model in some of our ED units as well. But the IXL that the students have just really enjoyed, if you can get through the diagnostic part of it, which takes a little bit of time. After that, the teachers can assign the lessons in the area that, they, that the deficits have shown. And it's good at data to use along with the behavioral. So that's the new component that we just put in. So our next few slides are just some visuals. Um, I will tell you that, like Sandy was saying, our groupings look a little differently. Um, so our BCBAs kind of came up with a grouping situation where the students are now transitioning. They're transitioning for, uh, into a different math room. They're transitioning into a different reading room. Um, we have social skills through the AIM curriculum, or we just have um, kind of like a sensory part of their day. Um, so the transition, it, it looks more of like a block schedule. Um, so this is kind of what we used to have, and this is very much still occurring. Our students are just doing them in blocks rather than um, multiple locations during the day. But short periods of blocks. Short periods of blocks. <laughs> yeah. um, they are about, well, they're 40-minute blocks, and so our students are having some difficulties with that amount of, of time frame, so you have to be obviously very um, willing and understanding that you're probably going to teach math for 20 minutes or so, and then our teachers have set up stations within those rooms for them to kind of have an outlet or to do some independent work. Our kids all have visuals on their desks for the zones of regulation, so that is a part of our training for staff just to kind of understand those zones um, so that they can help them to express where they, what color they are, what emotion they're having at that moment. All of our primary students use this. Um, I will say that our intermediate students, um, they obviously don't have those little faces and things like that. It's a little bit more age appropriate for them. But. Is that something you came up with? Uh, this was created by one of our staff members. Like we were talking about before, so the IXL component reaches the academics, um, but we also utilize an AIM curriculum. Uh, AIM curriculum is really based upon social-emotional development for students. Um, right now in our settings, our students have point sheets, um, and so they are getting their points based upon their behaviors within their blocks or within their settings. So our students are really kind of understanding what their goals are for each day. They always talk about their morning mantra. Um, so they get a lot of just social skill training from this AIM curriculum, and all of our staff are trained in it. Um, it was a pretty intensive two-day process as to understand how you implement this in your setting. Once again, this would be difficult to have all this implemented at the regular, at our elementary schools. It, we would not be able to do all those components mm -hmm. um, as we can in the program. Yeah, and the AIM curriculum, um, just, I'm, I'm not sure if anybody is even familiar with it, but it Has really Has anyone kind of heard of it heat in here? No? no? Okay. <laughs> if you look it up, you'll find a little bit of it. Um, it's a very expensive training and really they want you to understand how the process works and so they will, um, you'll, you'll just have to be trained. But there is a little bit online, I don't know Mindy. There's a little bit. A little bit. Is it an Like I was saying, all of our ESC staff are trained, so our behavior techs had the same training our ISs have, um, so that our program can run fluid 
with that information. Um, they use ACT daily lessons. It's really kind of how do I behave, how do we behave um, conversations. And so our students are, like I said before, learning just like their daily mantras. They're learning um, how they can move throughout their day in safe behaviors. Um, and that is a part of one of our blocks. So all of our techs do that lessons for the students um, so that the ISs can maintain math and language arts and science and social studies. Act lessons are uh, accepted mm-hmm yeah and like so it's a tiered system in those act lessons uh, tier one is uh, three lesson plans so three activities based upon what that learning concept is um, there's a script that the teacher and the students will go through and then there is um, like discussion and experimental like activities kind of um, built in within those So our classroom schedules, like I was telling you before, these are our students' blocks. Um, and that is basically within each of the settings. They have those on the boards. It's how our students track their points. Um, it's how the staff track their points. We also, because of our new blocking schedule, that information is located in folders that travel with all of the students um, so that staff can still maintain their point values and understand kind of where they're at with the day. Three is the most points they can get per block. So those kids were doing really well that day. And I think the moving around and the transitioning has really benefited us because we have found that there are certain staff that are so well qualified, they might run a very well, you know what I mean, a very good classroom, but another one might just need a little bit of additional assistance. This mm -hmm. provides that to be spread across the program. So our intermediate classroom, um, specifically the Coleraine Elementary classroom, uh, they utilize it through their computers so that the kids have access on um, the teacher's computer. And then they also have removed it from the board because we found that it was being very, it was almost like on display. And so some students really have difficulties with that. We have not had that same issue in our connections program, so we have kept it that way because they actually like to see it. Uh, but when we did have students transition or it, when we were in that, in that classroom in Coleraine L, um, the students really took offense to seeing their points on the board. And so we had to come up with an interesting solution, and so we do that through computer. Like I was saying, so our students earn points. Every block, they are able to earn a point for that block. Um, they have checkout which is twice a day. It can occur during IXL AIM, our AIM block. Um, you can check out at that day, at that time, and then you can check out in the afternoon. And so they are able to cash out for tangibles and things like that. If they wanted to cash out for a break um, throughout the day or maybe a sensory, we have a sensory room so they can go to a motor break, they do cash out, they can cash out for that anytime. But for our tangibles, we only do that twice a day. And then our point values. So our kiddos made all of these. So you'll see that they um, look kind of fun. They also made their negatives, what we would earn a negative point for. They're very driven by these points, very it's, driven. So if you talk to one of the students, that's, that's what they're, they're worried about yep. all day long. Yep. It's, it's a constant sometimes questioning of, did I earn all three points? Or they are allowed to, so they might have a really rough block um, and come into the classroom and maybe feel like they're not having a great day and so they're just gonna give up, but they're really motivated by having a good block and they're really motivated by then earning some bonus points. The staff will give them bonus points. Oh, I'm so thankful that you came back to the classroom. You had a seat, you get a bonus point. And so our kids will really kind of feed into that. They get very excited about it. Oops, sorry. It's just, um, I have lots of classrooms that I'm showing you, but these are a couple of the other ones. So these are for our intermediate, intermediate students. Mm -hmm. So you'll see that the points are a little different, how they're differentiated. Like for our younger kids, it was yelling out, and these might be using profanity. So. 
Well, we have that too with the young. Well, we do. Especially our kindergartners. Yes. I don't know where those mouths come from. I don't know where they learn that vocabulary, but they're quite talented at it. That is, yeah, yeah. This is just a a picture of our reinforcement center. It's uh, tied to their point system values. And like I was saying, we have a sensory room, so we have a really great space um, that we have a... uh, I guess she's a doctor now of occupational therapy. She came in and created this space for us. Uh, Just the paint colors changed, the flooring has changed, just the items that are in there. It looks way different now. I mean, this is, this was kind of the start of it. Um, But she has come in and kind of designed that. So each student in our program has a specific plan for when they go into that room. You go in, there is a folder. Uh, Within that folder, it'll talk about what their first activity should be, what their second activity should be, what their third activity should be. Now, if they're going in there because they've cashed out and they need a motor break, that's a little different. But when they go into this room, they have a very specific script as to what they're going to do in that room. And so um, that has been really helpful. It really kind of gives the student an opportunity to go and, and release appropriately. Um, We had found that prior to that, that room became a crazy zone. They were just running in there. They were throwing footballs, whatever they could, you know, playing tag in there. So we really had to come up with this plan. And so these plans are very specific and individualized. And all of the staff have been trained by her as to how those are implemented for each kid individually. Mm -hmm. Who decides who writes the plan? Our OT wrote them. So, well, I would say that she wrote them, but it was based upon a grouping of her and the IS and our BCBA and the behavior text, because every person that takes a student in there has to know how that plan is ran. So she came in and did a training on the room, and then she sat down with each person and went through specific students and specific needs. And that's a really great question because we struggle in our elementaries with our sensory rooms. And I will so tell you. So that is, that's a, I mean, yeah. we really need to be, you know, more aware of, of writing those plans for those students, mm-hmm. especially when we have the behavior techs are the ones that are many times bringing the students down. They stand back and the kid can do whatever they want. So we're yeah. finding it very difficult to get those students out of the sensory room and making that a productive break. So we're trying to be more aware, but we definitely have need to improve on that in our in our elementary schools. Yeah, and so we were kind of having that same situation. This new kind of revamp of that room didn't even really occur until almost October, November, mm-hmm. um, just based upon the fact that we kind of identified that that was a big concern. It wasn't being used appropriately, and so that's when... Um, she came in and did that specific training, and we really sat down and looked at every student individually. We've had a great success with our program, hence why we're expanding it next year. Um, We're finding that the students are maintaining their behavior. We're building better relationships with the parents. We're reducing our suspension rates, and we're doing what's right for the students. And I really did not like when the students were all being outplaced. Some of their bus rides were being 40, 50 minutes long. Mm -hmm. Having it right here in our district has proved to be very beneficial. Um, I would like to see more taking place within the elementary schools, but at the same token, I am aware how the physical aggression is traumatizing to other staff members as well as the students around them. So we're doing very, very well with having this at a separate facility. I know it's very restrictive, but at least it's in our district. The other thing that I probably should have pointed out um, earlier when we were talking about components of the program is that we did reduce the number of hours that the students were um, in the school. So, for example, it's six hours. So they, you know, come and they... They're there nine to, to three, three. And the typical yeah, elementaries yeah. are... Like more like... fifty to yeah. 350. Yeah. So it's not a huge reduction, but it's enough that it allows us to do more programming and reevaluate. And I'll be honest with you, that reevaluation of what works, what doesn't work, has been occurring almost on a daily basis. Yeah, so our staff have... Our staff have an hour to work together in the morning and an hour to work together in the afternoon. It's, it's and within key. those hours, yeah. um, it is a total debrief 
of what happened the day before, what the expectation is for the school day, and then at the end of the day, obviously, we have that debrief as well, and then what are we going to do for tomorrow? Mm -hmm. Um, so our teachers do get planning built into those sessions. Um, a lot of that work will go through like our BCBA. She actually has a lot of trainings that she does in the afternoon. And sometimes she will just meet with the registered behavior techs. Both programs and both ISs do meet to debrief. Um, but if they need to plan, they do go. We have some flexibility around those things. The other component that I probably should have also pointed out is getting these students to school and back home is a daily challenge for us. I don't know about other districts, but we're having a lot of aggression that's occurring on the buses. So um, what we had in the past and what we're probably gonna end up setting back up for next year is the behavior text. The reason that they're there longer is because we built in the opportunity for them to actually ride the bus with the students. Mm -hmm. Um, that's what we had done in the past, and that's what we're going to have to do in the future because um, sometimes things that might have occurred during the day are taken on the bus, and these bus drivers just cannot handle that aggression. Yeah. So there's been quite a few situations where I've had to drive, meet the bus, and get on the bus to assist in different situations. So the ideal situation would be to have those behavior texts. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be multiple ones. Maybe you rotate but one each day ride, especially in the PM hours on that bus mm -hmm. to assist, because they're the ones that know those students, mm -hmm. and it's very beneficial. They're ESC employees, yeah. yeah. So all the employees in the program are ESC. Mm -hmm. We are looking at expanding, to answer your question, with a Northwest employee next year, but the only way that'll work is if they are as consistent as these employees are and they learn off them. Mm -hmm. So if they're gonna come in with any um, ideas on what they think is going to work and they're not gonna you know, be open to the suggestions, then it's probably not gonna be successful. So it's really important that we make sure that we're consistent, which is the only way we can really manage these types of students. Mm -hmm. They do not. We find ways that the intervention specialists are building that in with various things they're doing. Mm -hmm. um, but I have asked that we build more of that into the curriculum for next year. So mm -hmm. we are looking at having um, some of the related or some of those people that teach the art, music and PE go Actually over coming there. over. Yeah, mm -hmm. but I will not send them back over there. Those classrooms are already too large and sometimes managing that in the schools is a challenge for them. We originally had 16 open seats, but it is really, really important for the administrator who manages that at the district level to make sure you're looking at the needs of all those students. So if I have a classroom of six and, and all of them are physically aggressive, I'm not going to sit and put eight of them in there. Um, every time I move a student in, there's 20 more that the district would like me to move in. So, mm -hmm. and it's, it, and I'm not, I'm not gonna lie, it is stressful to be able to manage um, the expectations of the district as well as look out for the, what's best for the student and look at the staff because we have to watch how many students we're putting in there. Yeah. Currently right now, I believe we have 12. 12, mm -hmm. yeah, in that program. Mm -hmm. I do. So that's, well, we I do initial training. Our BCBAs within the programs train our um, RBTs and our behavior techs. RBTs are nationally Mindy, could you repeat the question? Yeah. Can you repeat Pete the, the question? question? People oh, up. Her question was, is that, is that same BCBA the one that supervises them during their hours? Because every RBT has to be supervised by a BCBA. Mm -hmm. That's not necessarily the point, but it's not necessarily what happens. But we do have them supervised by a BCBA in our program. So depending on where they're deployed depends on what BCBA And it really is remarkable to watch because it is job, it's right on the job training. 
So mm -hmm. she'll sometimes stand right here. The, the behavior tech will be working with the student who's escalated, and she'll simply say, okay, what did we say? You're, you know what I mean? She's training, she's training them right there. Yeah. We would really struggle if we did not have that part of the management going on on a day-to-day -day basis. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's crucial, in my opinion, for the program. It's so, and just like that, she's saying that, but she'll, I, I've also observed her walk over and whisper something in their ear, like just not to bring it up to the kid or in front of them, but mm -hmm. just to kind of correct what was going on or give a suggestion, and then you will see that the implementation of it. So it's really nice. I might miss this, but do you have an administrator that works in the program? Like, are they there through time, or is it like principals come over and check in? Or no, so I'm I'm part time, okay. three days a week, and um, I probably get called pretty much every day. So it's important to have that part of the administration be part of the program as well as um, Liz yeah. manages it as well from the ESC um, part of it. It really takes two of us to so to do that my special ed office is there but i still go to the elementaries too to observe and work with the teens on the students that they want in the program there is not an administrator on site daily okay. no. we're there a lot but we're not um located there mm -hmm. that's why I, that's what i meant when i said that it wouldn't be able to be run efficiently without that that um that part of the role of the BCBA because she really does manage a lot of the day-to-day -day stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, it sounds like you have parent support, the parents are frustrated by this, mm -hmm. but these children, a lot of them are kindergarten, second grade. Mm -hmm. Are these children that have, are autistic and it hasn't been recognized when they were babies or toddlers or younger is that a lot of the that that can happen we do have some with autism you know what i mean that are in there um they come into we moved our kindergarten up the full day as you know what i mean most of the districts have at this point and basically what we're finding that these students are not able to handle full day and they start with their behaviors when they find that those behaviors get them what they want and that's out of the classrooms then it just continues to build. The inconsistency in our elementary schools on how we're addressing those behaviors almost creates a really bad situation because by the time we get involved, they have to reteach and learn on what the reason was and why they did what they did. So um, the earlier we can get involved, the better off it is for the student family as well as staff members. But yes, there are some of them that you know, not all of them go to our preschool. We do have a preschool, but many, many parents choose not to send them to preschool. So. We're, we're identifying a lot of our kindergarten students who have these deeds, like Sandy was saying. They, this is their first experience in school, and it has been um, extremely difficult for them. And so we're trying to identify some of those early interventions for a lot of our kiddos in that kindergarten um, age group. Um, so I would say that's probably our most difficult population. They didn't have any early intervention, mm -hmm. and they did not go to preschool. And, and, and I have situations, I'm working on a kindergartner case right now where the child's made it in the classroom 10 minutes max this entire year. Mm -hmm. And now I'm February, and now we're going to have to work on getting this child involved more yeah. and because she would become aggressive whenever she was in the room. So it just depends. Each needs different. We try not to take too many kindergartners, it's really a lot of first and second grade, yeah. but we do have some that we've looked at. So some of it's then lack of <coughs> Sure. I yes. hate to say this, but a lot of it is, is parenting where they've given into the, the yeah. child at That's home. Right. And, and, okay. and there's a lot, and there's a lot yeah. of trauma. And there's a lot of mental health. Yeah. And, These yeah. poor little yeah. kids have experienced things yeah. are beyond what we could even imagine. And what we really need to do is be and have an empathetic approach to that. But what happens is I find staff members at the schools are just burned. We're losing teachers. I mean, we have teachers that are that are resigning because they don't know, they don't know what to do. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why we had to come up with. We got a couple questions. Yeah. Here. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, oh. So 
Um, there are wraparound services within that building. Um, they have children's home therapist in the, in the setting, and then they have the Camelot PH program. So our students are still treated just like Northwest students. They then are able to access all of those wraparound services. Now, the one feature that is extremely important to point out with the program, as many programs that are out there, many of them have, have to have Medicaid eligibility. And that's what we were running into as well. And for the ones with the private insurance, there were very few resources. <laughs> By bringing this program in, we're not looking at your insurance, we're not looking at the Medicaid or anything like that. And by bringing children's home therapists into our district, they can have private insurance as well. Mm -hmm. So Camelot, strictly Medicaid. Mm -hmm. yeah. Go ahead. I just want to ask, uh, you said you had OT and speech services mm -hmm. full-time or part-time? So our speech path is there one day a week. Um, our OT is there a half a day a week. But then we have a, um, the OT who went in and trained all of our staff. Um, so we have two OTs in the program. One is the ESC, um, well, they're both providers through the ESC, but one we place there to meet those sensory needs. So she is there on Wednesdays for a full day, and she does all of that on-site training with staff. She'll go in and make sure that the staff members are implementing their intervention plans in the sensory motor room exactly how it's supposed to. So she's there to kind of watch that um, every week. We look at the related services on the IEPs. Obviously, we have to meet the IEP needs of the students mm -hmm. that are identified. Um, my dream world would be to have more speech and more OT services built into the program because mm -hmm. it would be so valuable. But yeah, we do see a lot of benefit with step, her yeah. one day a week there. Yeah. They also co-teach with your intervention Correct. That's a great question. I'm going to let I'll let my boss say. Yeah. In our, about 28 districts in our county, this is just one district. So we have been talking with other districts about similar type programs. And yes, the goal is to then start sharing that information with other counties and other districts outside of our county. Mm -hmm. Anybody else? It's a program for Hamilton County in, with Northwest mm -hmm. partnership. Mm -hmm. Right. So, who pays for it? Is it something that you, since you employ them as your educational nervous center, mm -hmm. is it a fee? Does it include that? Is it a separate cost of the program? It's a package. It's a package. So, as well as administration, yes. it's all in that package. Yep. You mentioned general education students as well, so mm -hmm. being an elementary principal, we have an ED unit. <coughs> Behaviors are too difficult to maintain mm -hmm. in that. We work with our county that has a behavioral alternative school as well, and they mm -hmm. students go there. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious how this works for your general education students that aren't identified. Not that they have a modified curriculum, but they're not receiving art, they're not receiving music, they're not receiving right. phys ed, they're not receiving these type of things. How do you then transition them back? And you mentioned earlier how- Talking about those settings. Mm -hmm. the suspensions and different things. Mm -hmm. So it's almost yeah. like, what's your time frame here? Because you can go 10 days with the expulsion process. Mm -hmm. Do you get to that point, and then you kind of leverage that as, we're not gonna expel your child, we're gonna necessarily then send them to this alternative yes, school. Yes, we do that sometimes. Or the earlier we can get involved and pull them out, the better. When we pull a gen ed kid, we're very careful. We do it on a diagnostic measure to determine is the or are they going to benefit from the intense interventions. Mm -hmm. So um, we most of the time end up having to take them through the evaluation process. But in that meantime, we don't want them to be out of school and suspended as much as they already so are. So you're almost going with the route you suspect a disability. So yes. Then you're trying. Potentially. Yes. Mm -hmm. yes. Yep. 
that's why you need somebody who works for the district who can be participating in those meetings at those elementaries. That's why I traveled the other elementaries to get involved, because I know where it's going. Time, like I said, by the time I get them, they might have eight, nine days that they sure. had to suspend them. And right. my principals are just extremely frustrated with the behaviors. It's the main focus. It's what we talk about. I feel their pain. Yeah. <laughs> Related to that, I'm, I'm curious about decision rules to enter your program mm -hmm. and how you've worked backwards with the schools in terms of building the tiers of intervention into your mm -hmm. program mm -hmm. and even your transition out of your program. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh-huh, that's why we have a behavior specialist. Um, her role would be to go into that elementary and work a long period of time on developing interventions and collecting that data on those data math plans. She's very obsessed with making sure the data is incorporated in those plans. Because what we had before were situations where they would just want them out, and then I would find out very little was done within the school setting. So we're very careful to make sure that we're in there and doing all those interventions on a daily basis. As far as the tiers, we're still working on that and trying to improve in that area. I mean, we, we only can do so much as far as resources within the school setting. And a lot of times by the time I get involved, I've got a traumatized staff member, I've got a frustrated parent, and I've got a situation where something needs to be done pretty quickly. <laughs> so, but there might have been an entire six months of an intervention done prior to that with data to support that. Mm -hmm. There are times, I'm not going to lie, where I receive a phone call, and it might be from somebody higher up where something needs to be done now. And it might not have gone through the tiers. An example with that, if I had a child enroll in first grade with us, we didn't know the background of this child, they come in, they're physically aggressive, in that kind of a situation, sometimes I need to move and make quicker decisions. It is a constant battle on a daily basis with principals wanting me to intervene and get students out. And then it makes it difficult because I, I don't want to say I don't have room, but we can only take so many kids. Yeah. So um, by expanding it, we're going to have to be very careful on what that looks like so that we're not opening spots for people just to be making those quick decisions. And the other reason, too, that we implemented um, the process into the elementary school is, is really what our passion is anyway, just providing that intensive support in an elementary school. Um, but the reason we did that is so that we can have that tiered system so that they're leaving connections, they're transitioning over to an elementary where they then now have gym, re you know, reading, math, everything mm -hmm. is where it should be. Um, and kind of finding those ways to have them successfully transition. A lot of these kids make significant academic progress. So with the, it's really not hard for them to jump back into the curriculum because many of them make more progress than they were making before when they were being removed from the room. Yeah. So they have, um, they have two blocks in the morning, two 40-minute blocks of ELA and math, um, and then they have a block of science in the morning, and then in the afternoon they have another block of ELA, a block of math, and social, social studies. So they're receiving all of their core curriculum within that time frame. Um, but a lot of individualized curriculum. Yeah. You know what I mean? And those so, blocks are yeah. about 40, 35 to 40 minutes long. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Hope. Yeah. What, I'm sorry, didn't hear. I was just thinking about like kids like middle school, like what types of supports. If we expand the program to middle school, we're only going to expand to sixth grade. Okay. Because obviously, mm -hmm. if we go to seventh and eighth, and I'm not the master of this, but I know we're going to run into a licensing issue with, in regards to the academics. Mm -hmm. So we're only going to take it to sixth grade. We do have something that we have for seventh and eighth grade students. That's an online component housed in the same facility where they can, um, they can go for shorter periods of time, and we manage those behaviors that way. The high school, we, are, we, do not, we have very little support in the high school. 
but if they are in a building, we're expecting them to be able to go to the class. If not, they're going to be probably on that component as well. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, probably only sixth grade. I'll be honest with you, I kind of did the numbers, and I'm looking at five fifth graders right now that are all physically aggressive that I know for a fact would not make it if they went into sixth grade in August. I know they won't make it. And what will happen is they'll get suspended, expelled, because that's occurring more in our middle schools mm -hmm. than, than the elementaries, and then it, it's just not together to figure that out. So we're going to probably expand to sixth grade mm -hmm. if everything goes through. Thank you. Thank you. It's challenging work, but somebody's got to do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It is very. Challenging. Uh, four years. Mm -hmm. But remember, I didn't start till that later in that March. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's constant reevaluation. It is continuous. Does this work? How can yeah. we make this better? What can we do to improve it? And if I have that parent cooperation, then it's it's wonderful. But mm -hmm. I feel so bad for some of these students that like display this hyperactivity because if I could get them to cooperate and maybe look at medication to assist in that, then I could probably get more of these kids back. So it's constant communication with parents and looking through that. But I do not, we do not suspend, I've only suspended twice this entire year oh, yeah. for one day only. So that yeah. is our main focus to yeah. keep them in school. Yeah. And those were for pretty extreme situations. Extreme. They were both. Well, weapons and one uh, a sh uh, one of our teachers took a shoe to the nose and broke her nose. So, extended school year. No, they're getting a lot of academics. So, if a child needs it, we'll look at that and evaluate But I, I think you're saying like just summer programming. Yeah. They do. Yeah. August is a very rough month. Some of those programs are doing a lot to get some programs. Yeah. 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 Yep. Thank you guys. All right. Thank you.